This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. All right, so this morning we have titled our message, and it's coming up on the screen now, Ananias, Sapphira, and the Grace of God. Now, I know that that is a question that many have in Christendom. Some have partial answers, some have some understanding, some have concluded certain things. But I know that in general, I know when I didn't fully understand what I'm about to share with you today, I honestly had concerns and reservations about the account of Ananias and Sapphira. Because apparently, it appeared at least, that these were people who had just received salvation in Jesus. This is in the days of the early church. And here they are trying to be part of what God is doing. And of course, they decide to be a little devious and lie and, you know, just be a little hypocritical. And of course, it ended up costing them their lives. They both died. And so, you know, this is often used to um, bring fear on believers and make them question their salvation, make them question their devotion to God and their walk with God. And it's one of the portions that I think (laughs) oftentimes we want to overlook or not spend too much time on just because it doesn't always make sense to us. And that's what we want to look at today. Now, you may know some things about it. You may have heard other teachers teach about it. But I believe that what you are going to hear today is going to be the first time that you're going to hear it the way I'm going to present it. Because I really believe that that's the case. I have not heard anyone else teach it the way that I'm about to teach it. And it's not that I'm, again, trying to be different or anything like it at all. I just flow with how the Spirit of God anoints me and how He reveals to me and how He helps me teach His wonderful truth. Amen. And so I want to encourage you, put on your seatbelts, get ready. We're about to go on a terrific, a wonderful journey through Scripture and settle the issue of what is it exactly that happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Remember, that was a husband and wife couple. And why is it that they died in the days of the early church, supposedly trying to do something well-meaning? And of course, they decided to lie about some of the information, and that's partially what happened there. So, let's go and get into that account. But now, before we do that, I want to ask you two questions. Or, should I say maybe, I want to ask you a question and just put it in two different ways. So, When it comes to the account of Ananias and Sapphira, and specifically, (laughs) if you are familiar with it, what does it say to you? What does that account say to you? And then we can put it this way, the same question. What would you say the purpose of that account is in the Bible? Why is it there? Why did God inspire the human author of the book of Acts? Why did he inspire him to write about that account and let us know about it? What is its purpose? Why did God put it there and what does it say to you? Now, you know, when I speak to different believers and I ask that same question, the general answer that you get is, is that that account is there in the Bible to serve as a warning 
against this honesty and hypocrisy. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because that's, in essence, what happened. That's why what happened to them happened. And also, especially towards God. In other words, you know, you may be able to lie and fool people and make them think that you're telling the truth. But when it comes to God, He knows our hearts. He knows ex the exact truth. And so we cannot lie to Him. So if we lie to Him, really and honestly, it's a violation toward God. And that's another way of putting it. And also, <laughs> some will say that it serves as a reminder of how dire the consequences are when one engages in unjust or sinful behavior. So really, in essence, this whole thing is brought to say, you know, yes, we're under grace. Yes, God loves us. Yes, we have redemption in Jesus. But we need to be careful because if we do some, something that violates, that's a direct violation toward God specifically, we lining ourselves up for trouble. And so fear comes upon people, they get concerned, and they begin to doubt where they are with God. And unfortunately, if the, any unsaved person sees that, they're not exactly motivated and encouraged to receive salvation in Jesus. Because what it says to them is, is that, you know, if I do this, and then I happen to mess up and I don't, you know, they don't always realize that it's a violation against God, then I might just drop dead. And so you can't blame people for thinking that. I mean, I remember as a young, young Christian, when I first read that account, I remember thinking to myself, what have I just done? Because who's perfect? In and of ourselves, who's perfect? We are the descendants of a fallen being. All of us are fallen by nature that is Adam's nature. <laughs> and so ultimately we are going to mess up. Isn't that so? And so there's great doubt that comes upon many because of this account. And I've heard all kinds of explanations. I've heard all kinds of presentations about it. And I've even seen <laughs> video clips of services, church services, where a fiery preacher, you know, who mixes law and grace and, you know, presents the take on Ananias and Sapphira, gets everyone excited about it, makes them all think that they're all, you know, in a good place. And then he starts screaming, you know, the days of Ananias and Sapphira are coming back. And they start screaming and shouting, Hallelujah, praise God. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? You really want people to drop dead in church just because they, they did something, whether it's intentional or not? Is that what you really want? But anyway, so we see all that going on. Now, at the same time, we know that the grace of God, or should I say that grace is God's unmerited favor. In other words, you cannot earn it and you don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. So the minute you feel like you're going, you can deserve His favor, the minute you think you can earn His favor, then it's not grace anymore. That's legalism. That's law. And so to truly live in the grace of God, we need to understand that I can never earn His favor. I don't ever deserve it, His favor, and, but He gives it to me because He loves me. So we simply receive it by faith. Now, the reason why I'm saying that is because we know that the new covenant is a covenant of grace. Isn't that so? And so as believers, we are to relate to God by His grace. In other words, by His unmerited favor. In other words, we don't bring our merit, our performance 
into our relationship with God, thinking that that somehow affects our relationship with God. Now, is it good to live righteous? Is it good to live holy? Is it good to have good behavior? Of course, you want those things to reflect through you because of whose you are and what has happened to you at the new birth. But that's not what determines your standing before God. He saves us by grace. He maintains us by grace. And we are to live by grace, which makes the case of Ananias and Sapphira even more difficult to understand. And here's the reason why. If they happened to be New Covenant believers, meaning that they now were living under grace and were relating to God by grace, how is it that they still dropped dead because of a sin that they committed? I mean, weren't we forgiven for all of our sin on the cross, past, present and future? Didn't Jesus deal with a whole sin issue? Why is it then that Ananias and Sapphira face those consequences under the new covenant. Well, you see, those are all the things that we need to clear up. Because the truth of the matter is, is, is that if what happened to them is scripturally correct, based on new covenant living and understanding, and the heart and nature of God, then yeah, we should be concerned. We should also be careful. So let's see what scripture says. Now, <laughs> the first thing that we need to clear up is what I just said. The new covenant is a covenant of grace. We live under grace and relate to God by His grace. Romans chapter 6 verse 14, the second part of that verse, it's one of many, and we have lots of teaching on our website which you can go and look at. But there he says, speaking to new covenant believers, he says, For you are not under the law, that's the old covenant system of relating to God, but under grace, that's the new covenant system. Of relating to God. <laughs> so Paul here is writing inspired by the Holy Spirit and he says to the believers in Rome, the Roman believers, and to us, he says, you no longer relate to God by law. You relate to God by grace. In other words, you live under grace. You don't live under law, is in essence what he's saying. And so we understand. And again, this makes the situation with Ananias and Sapphira even more concerning because if we're under grace and under grace what happened to them can still happen to us then where is grace how do we make sense of the account of Ananias and Sapphira and the grace of God and so that's what we want to clear up I mean if all who receive salvation in Jesus are under grace then how do we make sense of what happened to Ananias and Sapphira so to begin Let's read the whole account first so that we can refresh it in our minds. And then we're going to break it down and I'm going to show you. And I believe that after today, you are going to have a clear understanding of what this is about, why what happened happened, and how it does or does not apply to us and how we are to relate to that account as new covenant believers living under grace, redeemed by the finished work of the cross. Amen. So let's read the account first. We're going to read it from the New King James translation. Acts chapter 4. It's going, we're going to begin at verse 33. And then we're going to read it all the way through. It goes into chapter 5 up to verse 11. Now remember, chapter numberings, verse numberings were finalized in the late 1500s. It wasn't there in the original text. So this was read in context as a letter. And that's the way we need to read it. 
So let's have a look at it. Let's read it. Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 33. <laughs> it says there, this is the days of the early, early church. Okay? It says, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And watch this. And great grace was upon them all. The reason why great grace, in other words, unmerited favor, in other words, they didn't have to earn it, they couldn't deserve it, but it was upon them because of the finished work of the cross. And great grace was upon them all. That already sets up the thing about grace. And you wonder, okay, if great grace, is that really what grace is then? And you see, that's again where misunderstandings about grace come in, where people call it an empowerment, they call it an ability. <laughs> grace is the person of Jesus. It's how we relate to God as new covenant believers. And then it says, And great grace was upon them all, nor was there <laughs> anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things um, that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Wonderful, wonderful things happening there. Now, verse 36. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So basically, what we see here is, is that the early church they were just so excited about redemption in Jesus. <laughs> I mean, imagine, it hasn't been heard before. No one has ever experienced it before. And so they're just happy to be promoting this wonderful gospel, living in love, sharing with one another. And this is what they were doing. They were so moved by the gospel truth. So then we continue now in verse 5 and verse 1. Watch what it says. So you've just seen that Barnabas sold a piece of land and brought the, all the money and led it to the apostles' feet. Then it goes on and it says, But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, <coughs> sold a possession. Watch this now. And he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So they were being dishonest before to God. Not to the apostles, not to the church. They didn't have to do this, but they chose to do it. But they chose to be devious about it, to lie about it, because they kept part of the sale. And so, but they wanted to give the impression that they did as Barnabas did and everyone else was doing. See? But Peter, watch us, said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Ouch. That is pretty... I mean, imagine you standing there and the apostle Peter gets divine revelation of what you've just done. And he exposes you in front of everyone that was there. But also, <laughs> at the same time, he says... You have done this in violation to God Himself. I mean, that's a pretty serious thing that happened right there. Let's continue, verse 5. Then Ananias, watch this, hearing these words, fell down 
and breathed his last. In other words, he dropped and he died. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so, uh, so much. So not knowing what had happened to her husband, she was going along with the lie, with the deception. Let's continue. Verse 9. <clears throat> then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately, watch us. She fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young man came and in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Now what we see there, as you have seen, is these two people come under false pretense to give the impression that they are doing as what others were doing, such as Barnabas. And they say, we sold this possession for this much, this land. But they kept part of it back, obviously because of greed and whatever else. So they wanted to give an impression, a false impression, that there was something that they were not. And Peter gets divine revelation and he basically exposes them. And he says, you haven't just lied to men, to us. He says, you've actually lied to the Holy Spirit. And at that point, individually, three hours apart, they both fall down and they die. They didn't fall down because they died. They fell down and then they died, it said. Remember? And so when you look at this, at first, it seems as though God judged and killed Ananias and Sapphira because they lied to him. And so many conclude and believe that. And so they live in fear as new covenant believers. Under grace, they still have this reservation in the back of their minds, thinking, you know, if I just mess up one time real bad, I might just drop and die. Because if it happened to them in the days of the early church, clearly God was setting a president to let us all know how we ought to behave and never lie to God. And the truth is, you know, we all mess up at some point. We all do certain things. It may not be what Ananias and Sapphira did, but sin is sin. And so at the end of the day, you have believers who live in fear and concern and confusion about doctrine and understanding of their relationship with God. And so because Peter had divine revelation about Ananias and Sapphira, the assumption is made that God was behind their tragic end. That's the conclusion that most people come to. And they say, well, see, God killed them. They lied to God. God isn't going to tolerate it. New covenant or not, grace or not. So how does that work? If God has forgiven us for all of our sin, then how is it that He still holds it against us and judges us? And then, of course, people bring in, you know, the unpardonable sin and the sin that leads to death. And, you know, we have teaching on that, and I'll teach it again and clear all those things up. But... A lot of times, people take things out of context. They don't let the Bible interpret the Bible. 
and they don't look at everything through the lens of the finished work of the cross or the eyes of God's love, and they misunderstand Scripture and come up with all kinds of conclusions. And this is one of them. But we have to, at the same time, say, what is it exactly that happened? Why did this happen? Why did God allow it, if you will? Well, when we look carefully at that account, as we've just read it, we notice three specific things. And those three things give us the answer and settle the matter and the issue for us as New Covenant believers and in relation to the wonderful grace of God, the unconditional love of God. So three specific things. Now I'm going to mention those three things and then we're going to look at each of those backwards. Okay, so I'm going to give you one, two, three, and then we're going to look at them in detail, three, two, one. And you'll see it'll make sense as we go. Okay, so <clears throat> here are the three things that we see that we need to consider when understanding this account and making sense of it in terms or in light of the grace of God and the finished work of the cross. Number one, it does not explicitly say that God killed them. It doesn't say that God judged them and he killed them. In that account, anywhere else, it doesn't say God judged them and killed them. It just tells us what happened. So that's the first thing we need to consider. And I'll give you a scripture and explain all that to you in a moment. The second thing we see here is, is that it doesn't say, or it does not say, <laughs> that Ananias and Sapphira were believers. It actually doesn't explicitly say that they were believers. So that's the second thing. And I'm going to show you proof of all that in a moment. And then the third thing that we see is, is that the text indicates that Ananias and Sapphira died out of fear because of what they believed. And I'm going to show that to you as well. And I believe it will be convincing. You'll see it for yourself in Scripture. And you'll say, okay, that settles the issue. All right, so let's go and have a look at these. And let me explain and show you why I say those three things. And let me explain each of those things. So remember, we're now going to go backwards. <laughs> so the first one that I'm going to explain this is where I said that the text indicates that Ananias and Sapphira died out of fear because of what they believed. All right. So the King James translation, we read it from the New King James. But ultimately, you know how I feel about the King James. And it's not because that's the only one we read. We read other translations. But I personally have found that the King James is the most English accurate translation we have, which is word by word. Of course, the Young's literal does also tens by tens, which is even more accurate, but it's harder to understand. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the King James because it translates it word by word the most accurate. It's not perfect, but it's close. It gets it closer than any other translation. <coughs> most modern translations, unfortunately, just sometimes alter the meaning completely and lead us down doctrinal paths that we don't need to be on. So, remember I said they died out of fear because of what they believed. So, let's have a look at those portions. And I'm going to show you first where it talks about Ananias. And then I'm going to show you the portion that talks about Sapphira. And you are going to see clearly from a direct translation that they actually died out of fear because of what they believed. And therefore, because of what they expected to happen 
to them. So, <laughs> look at this. Acts chapter 5, verse 5. We read all this already, but I want to show it to you more accurately from a direct translation. It says, watch the emboldened part. <clears throat> and Ananias, hearing these words, in other words, Peter just revealed his divine revelation. And Ananias, hearing these words, watch this, fell down and, watch this, gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all of them that heard these things. So look at that real carefully again. It says that Ananias fell down. Normally when people are in shock, when they receive news that they are not ready to handle emotionally, psychologically, they faint. They fall down. That's what happened to Ananias. And once he hit the ground, it says that he, look at that real carefully, it says that he gave up his spirit. In other words, he chose to die because of the shock. Why? Because of what he believed. He knew that he was just exposed and he expected the worst thing to happen. And because he believed it, it happened to him. Now you may say, hold on a minute, let this, uh, just stay with me. I'm going to prove it all to you in a moment. Okay. Now let's read again from the King James, the account of Sapphira. So Acts 5 verse 10, five verses down. It says, then fell she down straight away at his feet. That's Peter's feet. Watch this now. Same thing. She fell, she fell, fell down and fainted because she was in shock. And, watch this, yielded, <laughs> yielded up the ghost. She yielded up. She gave up. It means the same thing. Her spirit. So again, apparently her and her husband believed the same thing. They had the same fear. And because of it, they died. And they willingly, I know it sounds weird, but willingly gave up their spirit and died. And the young men came in and found her dead and, carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. So what I want to draw your attention to there is, as I've shown you, is, is that Ananias gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit. The word for ghost is pneuma, which is spirit. And then it says that with her, she yielded up her spirit. She gave her spirit over to death. So you can see from that that they both died out of fear because immediately when they received divine revelation, the shock was so overwhelming that they both fell down. They fainted. And as they fainted, they gave up their spirit because they assumed, because of what they believed, this is judgment from God and here we are. He's taking our lives. That's in essence what happened. Now, I know you may be saying, hold on, that sounds like you taking a bit of a liberal license there. I'm going to prove it to you. But notice, it says there that they both willfully gave up and yielded up their spirit. So they died by choice, if you will. They died out of fear, out of shock, and out of expected judgment. See that? Now, neither of them could bear the shock of what was divinely revealed to Peter. Because remember, this is the early days of the church. I mean, they knew the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. They knew when a prophet spoke, they knew that it was so. And so this is what they assumed. This is a prophetic word, therefore judgment is coming. Because that's how it was before the cross, right? And so they just assumed that the most terrible of consequences would follow, which would be death. And so they yielded themselves to it, and it happened to them. 
And you know, when you think about it, I mean, you can Google this. You can go to um, <laughs> medical sources and you'll find that in our day, that still happens. People still faint when they receive news, when they find out about something that they just cannot handle emotionally or psychologically, people faint. I've seen people receive the worst of news. I've been involved in situations where a loved one is involved in an accident of sorts. I go to the hospital to be with a family and then they are told the most horrific of news and I've seen people faint and drop right there because they just cannot handle the gravity of what they've just heard. So we see that happening today. This is what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Imagine if an apostle, a man of God or a woman of God revealed to you divinely something about you and exposed you in front of everyone. I think probably most people will react the same way. And that's what happened to them. And then if you go and Google some more from good sources, you'll find that apparently, and I speak under correction, but this is what I've seen, apparently one in five cardiac arrests are as a result of someone being in shock or receiving news that is shocking to them. So apparently one in five people who have a cardiac arrest, in other words, their heart stops beating and they die, is because of something that they heard, something that they discovered. And so it is happening, it does happen, and I believe that it's not going to happen to any of us, but this is in essence what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, the evidence is there. You see, the other thing too that we need to consider is, is that Ananias and Sapphira were both Jews. So they were accustomed to living under the law of God, the old covenant way of relating to God. They had heard about salvation in Jesus. And so what happened is, is that because they were still, <laughs> their mind was still, <laughs> excuse me, because they were so indoctrinated by the law and clearly they were devout, but at the same time dishonest and deceitful, but they knew what the law said. They must have been familiar with the Old Covenant Scriptures and they knew and understood that, or should I say the consequence of breaking the law specifically in direct violation to God. They knew that. I mean, I can give you two examples here that, of Scripture that they probably knew and were familiar with. They probably had memorized it because that's what they did under the law. Look at Proverbs chapter, tw chapter 12, verse 22, the first part of that verse. Watch what it says here. It says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. In other words, God just cannot handle it. He, he just has no taste for it, no time, no nothing for it. And then, in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 and 17, the first part of 16 and then the last part of 17, for time's sake, watch what it says. <coughs> These six things the Lord hates. Now, God is love. For Him to hate something, you know that it's, He feels strong about it. And in verse 17, it tells us, a lying tongue. So Ananias and Sapphira were familiar with these things. They knew what the law of God said. They knew what the Ten Commandments said about lying, lying about your neighbor, and all of that. And so when they were exposed by divine revelation, with their old covenant mindset, because of what they believed, they knew God has just exposed us. We just committed a direct violation towards God, and therefore they fainted. The shock caused them to faint, and as they were fainting, they gave up their spirit because they thought this is the judgment that comes with breaking God's law, specifically in direct violation to Him. 
And so you can see, and I submit to you today, that Ananias and Sapphira died out of fear, out of shock and fear, because of what they believed. It wasn't God who killed them. You see, and like I said, people die because of what they choose to believe more than we realize. Even today. I mean, there are some people, and I've actually spoken and counseled to some people, and I just wasn't able to get through to them about, you know, redemption in Jesus and healing in Jesus and all that. And some people believe that some sickness or disease that they may be experiencing that is literally killing them, they believe that it's their thorn in their flesh, and this is God doing this to them, and therefore they just yield to it. They believe that this is the way that God is humbling them and teaching them something, and they end up dying from it because of what they believe. So we see this happening, and so at the end of the day, it shouldn't be a shock for us to see this is why Ananias and Sapphira fell down and died. It was shock, fear, and the expectation of the judgment of the law. But it, was, it doesn't say God killed them. It doesn't say that at all. Peter didn't say that. Right? <clears throat> so, and I mean, if you think about it, God knew before He revealed to Peter, God knew what Ananias and Sapphira had done. So why wait until it can be done this way? God could have taken care of it right there and then. He could, if, it was he, if He wanted to kill them and judge them, He could have done it at any point before this. Why would He want to put on a show to do what? To achieve what? To make us doubt about His grace and His love in the New Covenant? Of course not. And so it's, you know, to say that God killed them, it just makes no sense. But now, in case you're not convinced, I want to give you more proof. And I believe this proof is going to solidify this and help you see this. Now, the exact same phrase <laughs> that we've seen about Ananias and Sapphira, where he gave up the ghost, he gave up his spirit, where she yielded her spirit, so where she gave up her spirit. That exact same phrase is used in reference to Jesus at the cross when he chose to die. Remember, no one killed Jesus. He gave His life. No one could, no one can, no one will ever be able to kill the Lord Jesus. If He gives His life, it's He does it by choice. And I'm going to prove and show it all to you now. Pay close attention, okay? So Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Remember, this is the exact same word and phrase that is used in reference to Jesus. Here He is on the cross and it says, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, watch this, he gave up the ghost. The exact same phrase, exact same words used that we've seen for Ananias and Sapphira. So basically, <laughs> at the cross, Jesus understood that he had just done what he needed to do to redeem us. And so it says he commended his spirit to God. And then when he said that to the Father, he gave it up. In other words, he willingly chose to die. Which is what we've seen Ananias and Sapphira did. They, they were in shock. They were fainting. And as they fainted, they also willingly gave up their spirit. Because they believed that this was judgment. I think if they just hung around a little longer, I think the reason why God exposed it was so that they would repent. They would make right. 
and they would give the rest of the money or take it all back and say, we've changed our minds. God was giving them a chance to repent, to change their mind. They saw it differently. Now, <clears throat> the same thing about Jesus we find in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 50. Watch this now, how Matthew puts it. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, watch this, yielded up the ghost. The exact same phrase, exact same, <laughs> same way and thing that we've seen. <coughs> Excuse me, talk about Ananias and Sapphira. Now, what I want to do is I want to show you from a source, a biblical source, a credible source. It's called the Word Studies in the New Testament. You can purchase it, you can get it online, you can get a digital version, a book version. It's one of the sources that really goes into phrases, words, and describes and explains the background, where they come from, and why they say what they say. So here it is here, the definition of that phrase, yielded up the ghost, that Jesus said, that we've seen in Ananias' account, that we've seen in Sapphira's account. Watch now how the word studies in the New Testament puts it and helps us understand it. Here it is on the screen. So the phrase is, yielded up the ghost. And there's the Greek in case you want to <coughs> check it out. So there it says, literally, it means dismissed his spirit. Revised, it's been translated as yielded up his spirit. At the end of the day, it's saying the same thing. What, right? Now watch this. The fact that the evangelists, talking about those who wrote the text, in describing our Lord's death, do not use the neuter verb, in other words, the modified verb, to say he died. Because that's simply not just what happened, is what he's saying. But he breathed out his life. And there's the Greek and the reference for that. He gave up his spirit. There's the Greek and the reference for that. Then he says, they say, seems to imply, watch this now, <laughs> a voluntary yielding up of his life. Compare John 10, 18. Augustine, who's one of the early church fathers, Augustine says, he gave up his life because he willed it, when he willed it, and as he willed it. So right there we see that what it does mean is, is that it is something that is done by choice. It is done because the person chooses to do that. So what we see here, even though it's describing Jesus, it's the exact same phrase and word that is used to, for Ananias and Sapphira. It means that when Ananias and Sapphira both heard the divine revelation, they got into shock, they began to faint and fell down, and they both gave up their spirit because of what they believed they assumed this is God's judgment now because he just exposed us. So they gave up their spirit. They chose to die, if you will. It wasn't God who killed them. And you know, Jesus actually clarifies this for us in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18 from the New Living Translation. Jesus makes it clear to us that that's what it, he meant and what's, what it means. He says, the Father loves me because I sacrificed my life, so I may take it back. Again, no one can take my life from me. Watch this. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. So even Jesus revealed to us clearly that 
He gave his life. No one killed him. God didn't kill him. There was no judgment. Jesus chose to give his life to complete our redemption. And so in the same way we see here with Ananias and Sapphira, they died out of fear, out of shock and fear because of what they believed. God did not kill them. Amen. I trust that you see that. So that's our third point that we see there. Now, the second point, remember we're going backwards. The second point, the statement that I made, was is that the text indicates that Ananias and Sapphira were not believers. Or let me put it another way. The text doesn't seem to say that they were actually believers. Let me prove this to you real quick. Watch this. We've read all this. <clears throat> Acts chapter 5 and verse 1. Remember how it began? It said, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Notice the emboldened portion. A certain man. What, one of the things that you'll find in the book of Acts, that the author of Acts, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, by God, whenever he talks about someone who is unsaved, he refers to them as a certain man. And then when he talks about someone who is saved, someone who receives salvation in Jesus and is a true believer, he uses a different term for them. Let me show you. Acts chapter 9 verse 10. The first part of that verse. Watch this. This is now talking about a believer. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now this is a different Ananias. Okay, Don't confuse him with Sapphira's Ananias. This is the Ananias who actually laid hands on Paul the Apostle after his encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus, laid hands on him so that he would receive his sight again and at the same time be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's that Ananias. He was actually a saved believer. He was actually a true believer. So it's not the same Ananias. But notice <laughs> what you've seen here about Sapphira's Ananias is that it said a certain man. And yet, when it talks about a believer, it says a certain disciple. <laughs> and you'll see that this is consistent through the book of Acts. Let me give you other examples. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Watch this. Now there was a Joppa, a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. Clearly you see that it's talking about a believer because it says a certain disciple. Then if we go to Acts chapter 16 and verse 1, <coughs> watch this. It says, Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, watch this, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, that's Timothy, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek. So notice, it's talking about Timothy, who was a true believer and therefore refers to him as a certain disciple. Now watch this in Acts chapter 9 and verse 9. <coughs> this is an unbeliever. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Notice, clearly it's talking about a non-believer and refers to him as a certain man. Then, if we go to Acts chapter 19, verse 23 and 24, watch what it says. And the same time, 
there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Dana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. This was a time when there was strife because the gospel was being preached and these idol makers were beginning to lose business. And so they rose a little um, rebellion, a little revolt, if you will, against the apostles and those who were preaching the gospel. But notice again, he's referred to as a certain man. And so you see consistently throughout the book of Acts, where when it's a believer, it refers to him or her as a certain disciple. And when it's a non-believer, it refers to them as a certain man or a certain woman. Why? <laughs> because to make the difference and let's, uh, let us know that this is a believer, this is not a believer. Now, going back to Ananias and Sapphira, it said that there was a certain man. And you could add a certain woman. Because clearly, they were both not believers. And that's why the text makes it clear to us that they were not believers. So they were pretending to be believers. They were trying to get in on the action, if you will. They were trying to <laughs> give the same false pretense to get in. And so I believe that perhaps they were seeking, but they were dishonest. They had issues in their heart. And they were doing this because they were trying to give the wrong impression. So even in their salvation, they were lying about it. And this is why with their legalistic mindset, with their mindset of still living under the law, what they believed happened to them. See that? So that's the second thing that we see, that Ananias and Sapphira were clearly not believers. Amen. Praise God. All right, so let's address the last one. <clears throat> what did we say? Or should I say the first point? Because remember, we went backwards. Well, the first point was is that God did not kill Ananias and Sapphira. And I think I've already explained that, but let me just give you some scripture to help us see and understand the heart of God. <laughs> 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. From the Amplified, it says, The Lord does not delay as though He were unable to act, and is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is extraordinarily patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Repentance meaning a change of mind. So if this is the heart of God, Peter himself, the one who had revelation, divine revelation about Ananias and Sapphira, writes this. And he says, God isn't out to kill people and get rid of them. No, he is patient, long-suffering. He will wait as long as he needs to wait, because what he wants is none to perish, but all to come to repentance. In other words, for all to realize and change their mind. So clearly from that, we see that God's heart was not, His intent was not to judge and kill Ananias and Sapphira. Judgment took place on the cross. What God was doing is clearly working in their hearts, revealing to them, change this about you, stop that, and receive salvation in Jesus, and you can enjoy the wonderful grace of God. Amen. And then another example that we see is in John 3, 17, the one, the verse right after the one everyone knows, 16. It says, For God did not send he the Son into the world to judge and condemn the world, that is, to initiate the final judgment of the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God did all he did to redeem us, to give us the opportunity to have a change of mind, to change our ways, 
to receive redemption in Jesus and trust the Holy Spirit and God in us to change those things that need to change about us. That's the heart of God. Why would He go against all of that after Jesus and the finished work of the cross, which is when this happened with Ananias and Sapphira? You can see that it's not the heart of God. God is not the one who killed them, who judged them. It was fear who killed them, not God. I hope that I've proven that to you today. I mean, <clears throat> why would he go to the extremes of sending his son, providing redemption for us, having Jesus suffer as he did, only to go and judge people afterwards on some legalistic technicality and take their life? <laughs> that makes no sense. That is not the heart of God. If God was the one behind Ananias and Sapphira's unfortunate death, then also <laughs> we need to consider and think about this. We should still be seeing these kind of deaths happening in the church. And people should be fearful. And let me ask you a question. When is the last time you were present at a church service and someone, the pastor, whoever, received divine revelation about some sinful way and those people dropped there and they died right there? <laughs> I can't think of any. I mean, some people may make it up, but I can't see it. Why? Because that's not the heart of God. People don't believe the way Ananias and Sapphira believed anymore. They believe other things. There's other things that happen, but that's not the heart of God. Isn't that so? I mean, otherwise we would be seeing this happening all the time. And then we would say, you know, well, why and how would this motivate anyone to receive salvation in Jesus if that's what happens to them? I mean, it just makes no sense. Amen. When you consider Jesus, the finished work of the cross, and all God has done to redeem us, it just makes no sense at all. Why? Because God did not kill Ananias and Sapphira. Let's end with this portion. This is now about Jesus and his disciples. Luke chapter 9, verse 53 to 56 from the Passion Translation. <laughs> just to help us understand this so that I don't have to expound on it. This is the heart of God and the heart of Jesus in the New Covenant and the heart of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant. Watch this. But as they approached the village, they were turned away. This is a Samaritan village, so they were not fans of the, you know, the pure Jews. They would not allow Jesus to enter, for he was on his way to worship in Jerusalem. In other words, you want to go worship with the full-blooded Jews, and we don't want you to come through our land, because they were half-breeds. So it was a choice. Now watch us, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> watch what happens here. When the disciples, Jacob and John, realized that was happening, watch us now, they came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you wanted to, you could command fire to fall down from heaven, just like Elijah did, and destroy all these wicked people. <laughs> what a mindset. The disciples basically said to Jesus, Lord, these people are rejecting you for coming into their town because you're going to Jerusalem to worship. So they have an issue with, you know, the people in Jerusalem. So if you really want to, you can call fire from heaven like Elijah did and just fry them all, for the lack of a better word. Watch Jesus' response to them in verse 55 and 56. Jesus rebuked them sharply, saying, Don't you realize what comes from your hearts when you say that? For the Son of Man did not come to destroy life, but to bring life to the earth. So they went to another village instead. Look at the heart of Jesus. 
he rebukes them sharply. The disciples clearly still had the same kind of mindset as Ananias and Sapphira. And Jesus rebuked them. And he says, that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to do that. I am not here to judge and destroy people and kill them. He says, I am here to bring life, to bring repentance, to bring redemption. And that's the heart of God. Amen. I trust that what we shared with you today has removed any and every reservation you may have had about the account of Ananias and Sapphira. And you know, if you need to listen to this again and watch it again, please do so. And forgive me for, you know, the little casual clearing of the throat and all that. You understand that we trust in God and I'm trusting God and thank you for praying for me. But focus on the message. <laughs> focus on what I've shared with you today. Amen. And just receive that and let it set you free. It does make sense. And we understand that God's grace is still the same for us all. In Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.